He who saves one life saves the world entire. And the most important life to save is your own. After all, it's the place where you have the most power. So join shadow worker and trauma therapist Laura Giles each week on It's Not You, It's Me. We'll uncover what's in shadow and learn the things you need so you can heal yourself, grow yourself, know yourself, love yourself, be yourself, and share yourself. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to drop the self-sabotage and limiting beliefs. A healthy, abundant, connected life is an option. Choose it. Subscribe. And let's start manifesting it. You know when you get those forms to fill out at the doctor's office or for a driver's license and it asks you for your race? What do you put down? Do you check one box? Two? More than two? How do you determine what your race is? How do you determine what someone else's race is without asking them? Let's talk about it on this episode of Surviving to Thriving. Hi, I'm Laura Giles, your host. Welcome to Surviving to Thriving. We're a weekly podcast that explores life through the sacred wheel. The goal is to help earthlings live balanced, connected, natural lives. And if you find the podcast helpful, please share it with someone who might appreciate it so we can spread the love. You can also help the mission here by commenting, subscribing, or reviewing the podcast. Reviews help the Google ranking, so that's really helpful. Now, this show focuses on the seasons and the elements to help you use nature as your guide through life. If you can interpret what you're looking at, you will see that everything you need is right in front of your face. But since the circle is a symbol for everything, sometimes I go big picture and talk about oneness. And this is one of those times. You'll see what I mean in just a little while. So race, what is that? The American Heritage Dictionary's first definition says, a group of people identified as distinct from other groups because of supposed physical or genetic traits shared by the group. Most biologists and anthropologists do not recognize race as a biologically valid classification, in part because there is more genetic variations within groups than between them. The second definition says, a group of people united or classified together on the basis of common history, nationality, or geographical distribution. Okay, so I think we all know what the first definition means. It means primarily skin color, hair texture, and slant of eyes. It's visual differences. People who are lighter skinned and have lighter eyes are differentiated from those with darker skinned and those with more slanted eyes versus round eyes. Those with dark skin and straight hair look differently than those with dark skin and coarse hair. Would you agree that this is how American people are socialized to think of race? If biologists and anthropologists find this silly and inaccurate, why do we still do it? Now let's look at the second definition, which focuses on history, nationality, and geography. Is that any more valid? Are French people that different from Germans or Italians? They share borders. Those borders have moved. The Basques are genetically different, but would we consider them a different race? Should we? 
I ask this question because I think it's important for each of us to think about this. I've had dark skin clients who have been traumatized by the way they feel invalidated by their pale skin peers. I've had pale skin clients who have been traumatized by white guilt. They feel so horrible about their association with people who have historically been cruel to their darker skin people that they either feel the need to make amends, champion darker skin people, or just go around apologizing for what happened. I even had one pale skin client who basically wanted to castrate himself because he felt so guilty for being a white male that it was more mentally acceptable to be a eunuch or have a sex change than for him to be a white male. So as a society, I would say we have problems, wouldn't you? And it all centers around a construct that someone made up that has zero validity. Race isn't a real thing. We can't look at a skeleton and say, this person was from this race because there's no race gene. And until 8,000 years ago, there were no pale skinned people at all. So if you are the result of a thousand loves, do you only take into consideration the last three generations or so? How do you decide who's light enough to be white and who's dark enough to be black? And why are some non-American people classified slightly differently? There are white Latinos and black Latinos and white Egyptians and black Egyptians. What's that about? <laughs> Aren't they culturally the same? What about Mexicans? From my observation, it doesn't matter how light-skinned a Mexican is. If you're from Mexico, you can't be white. So there are all these rules that I just don't understand. Someone from North Africa might have lighter skin than someone from Sicily, but the Sicilian is considered white, while the North African isn't. And they all have the same ancestors. It makes no sense to me. All othering comes from fear. It's all about protecting yourself from danger by ostracizing someone else so that you can be on top with the power and have someone to look down upon. It's interesting that the racial integrity laws of the 1920s and 30s in Virginia outlawed interracial marriage. They said that a white person is someone who, quote, has no trace whatsoever of any blood other than Caucasian, unquote. So this is where the one drop rule comes from that says if you have a drop of African blood, you're black. But these same lawmakers created the Pocahontas exception, which said that a white person could marry someone with Native American ancestry. And a lot of people use that as a way around the law. Now, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> now, contrast this with the words of Black Elk, who was a Lakota medicine man. He said, if you have one drop of Indian blood in your veins, you are Indian. Do you see the difference in perspective? One includes and the other excludes. Which culture do you think stands more in love than fear? And which ideals do you embrace? If you've been listening for a while, you know that my parents and grandparents are a rainbow of skin tones and cultures. So when someone asks me what my race is, there isn't a neat and clean answer to that. Which ancestors am I supposed to leave out? Am I not a product of all of them? Are you a product of all your ancestors as well? Wait, I can hear some of you say, history is important. We have intergenerational trauma and a history of generational abuse. I hear that. I'm totally aware of that. 
the genocide of the Jews during World War II is real. The trauma carried by the surviving Jews and surviving Germans is real. The racism, fear, and mistrust by some pale and dark people that's left over from slavery in this country and the segregation and discrimination, it's all real. I'm a trauma therapist. I see this on a daily basis. And this is why I'm asking you to think about it. I'd love to see it all end. And I think that it can if we stop thinking in terms of color and of others. That's why the description in the podcast talks about helping earthlings. I could say we help women, men, people in their 50s, nurses, people of color, marginalized people, or homosexuals. Anyone with a business is told by marketing people to niche down. Pick a specific group and market to them. I don't know anything that could be more opposite of that than earthlings. <laughs> and yet that is what I choose because I'm sick of division and the over-identification with sex, gender, color, religion, politics, and what we eat or don't eat. I don't even stop at humans. Earthlings include plants, animals, and the mineral kingdom because I truly believe it's all sacred, alive, and connected. Culture matters. But what matters more than that is oneness. Not because I'm a bleeding heart who's in the corner with a lit candle singing Kumbaya, but because it's what's real. The sacred wheel is a circle not just because of life cycles, but because it's indivisible. We are one. Divisions diminish us. The year is not the seasons. It's much more than that. A tree is more than the leaves, roots, or branches. A pie is more than flour, sugar, and eggs. A person is more than arteries, blood, muscle, and bones. And when we identify with the ways that we're similar, rather than the ways that we're different, a lot of the fear and mistrust falls away. Your foot and your ear don't have a lot in common, but your whole body and my body do. The intergenerational trauma persists because we won't let go of the pain. I facilitate past life regression and in the beginning, I wholeheartedly believed in past lives because I experienced it. I saw and felt my own past lives as fully as if I were in that time and feeling those emotions now. I saw things I didn't know existed. The stories all lined up with how things are in my present life. But what I didn't understand in the beginning is that all time is now. The energy of bitterness, fear of water, brokenheartedness, or whatever is only present in this time because the person never lets go. Dying gives you the chance to start over, but we don't have to take it, and lots of people don't. We just keep doing the same thing over and over. So isn't it time to let go of labels, division, and old hurts? You are everything, and everything is you. But you can't live in the greatness of all of that if you're holding a grudge against someone else or yourself. Why? Because it's a way of staying separate from your wholeness. Rumi said, you're not a drop in the ocean, you are the entire ocean in a drop. That's the difference between being a single white Catholic female, for example, and infinite intelligence. The more labels you assume and ascribe to others, the more division you create between you them and wholeness. If I'm scared of Muslims, for example, I'm probably not going to embrace Muslims. So now I'm smaller because I've cut myself off from all that that brings into my being. Same with snakes, spiders, pistachio ice cream, or anything else. 
Everything that is created is a part of me because I'm the whole ocean. But let's say that you really have a preference for dark hair, dark eyes, and dark skin. Am I asking you to stop liking what you like? No, not at all. You can still like pink roses, country music, and baklava. I'm just suggesting that it may be better for all of us to be the whole rainbow and not limit ourselves to just one color. Why play small? Now I can hear someone out there saying, no, I need to stand up for injustice of the past and advocate for change. Affirmative action, fair access to services and jobs. It's what we need to make this happen and fix this. And I agree with that. And I think that the fastest way to change like that to happen is through a change of heart, not a change of policy. Policy doesn't change hearts. Love does. When we love each other, and see ourselves as part of the same earthling family, the systemic stuff goes away. We don't need a politician to change the system for us. We all have power. The thing that I think people can overlook is that we are the system. Whatever policies and practices are in place are there because of our own thinking and behavior. When our thinking and behavior changes, the policies will change too. It's like all the old laws that are still on the books because they haven't been changed, but they're not enforced. It's like with like that with the drug laws. Nobody's putting anybody in jail for smoking marijuana anymore. That just seems silly now that you can get a card for miracle marijuana and it's legal in so many states. The law hasn't changed, but the culture has. The thinking has. That's what I mean. When I was a little kid, there were no other people in my neighborhood who looked like me. I was always different. So it was common for other people, children and adults, to ask me about my race, culture, ethnicity, something that indicated that they wanted to know why I looked the way I looked. I always hated that question because there was no way to answer it succinctly, fully, in a way that gave them anything of meaning. And I didn't want to go into a long drawn out story. They weren't expecting that. And I didn't know these people. I didn't want to give that. But to give a one word answer, which is how most people answer that question, just felt wrong. No matter what word I used, it wouldn't get them one step closer to knowing who I am. So I'm wondering, for those of you who find that a useful question, what does the answer mean to you? Whether you're talking about yourself or someone else, what does the answer tell you? If I told you I was a toe, would that have meaning for you? That's kind of what it's like for me. I have a toe. I have ten of them. But I don't identify with being a toe. I think my existence would be pretty limited if I did. I used to be a dancer. A lot of my fellow dancers viewed that as their whole existence. When they didn't dance well or didn't get a gig, they took it very personally. While dancing was really important to me, it wasn't ever going to make or break my day. That's the difference between identifying with a part of yourself and being infinite intelligence. Can you see how petty... Some of the things we squabble about seem when you're infinite intelligence. Can you see how free you are right now with no more money, beauty, time, or youth than you have right now? You can do just about anything and be anything if you step into those shoes. And whatever past injustices that were visited upon you can be easily let go of because it just seems so small compared to the vastness of your heart. Some people make their whole identity about their race, sexual orientation, religion, or maybe a title. 
if you had to choose between being a fingernail or a whole body, which would you choose? If you could be a star or the universe, which would you choose? Why limit yourself to just one small aspect of yourself? Not just for you. So you could be way more awesome, but for everyone else. <laughs> if you were instantly more compassionate, because you could see what it's like to be the things that you weren't embracing before, wouldn't your understanding of others increase tremendously? Imagine it. You don't just walk past frail old men. Now you see them. You are them. If a little girl is spinning around and laughing as she watches her dress twirl around her, you see her. Her delight is your delight, even if you've never done that before. Everyone wants to be seen. Everything wants to be appreciated. When the world is your mirror, how do you not see it and appreciate it all? How does your fascination with yourself and therefore the world not increase? And would that not mean that you take more love and care of it all because what you see is good and precious? That's how it feels to me anyway. Do we need to preserve waterways and sea life? Yes. But when you are it and it is you, it's a given, not a crusade. It's just what you do as infinite intelligence. And scary things like crocodiles become things we respect and have great boundaries around so that they can do what they do best without harming us. One of the first things that I became fascinated with as I began really looking and appreciating myself as infinite intelligence are the things that we find grotesque disgusting and dangerous, like vultures. Vultures eat dead things. As symbols of death, most people don't like them, but I do. A lot of people don't appreciate the work that they do to break down dead things so that they can be recycled back into the environment and nourish life. They're creatures of rebirth. Vultures are sacred in many cultures. They can fly really high without flapping their wings, so they're pretty distinctive looking when seen from below. And because of this ability to fly so high, they're associated with the heavens. So you could take a look at anything in life and look at it and use it as a mirror to see those qualities within you. Maybe ask yourself, how do I, as infinite intelligence, express my ability to transform death into life? How do I express my ability to soar? I think people get stuck in their smallness and pain and they don't imagine how they might be everything. Or maybe they think of what they've lost when you are everything. You can't lose anything if you're everything, right? I've actually done a few articles on podcasts on race, but this is the one that I've actually talked about race the least. And I'm actually good with that because I think it shows just how important it is in the big scheme of things. If you agree and want to be part of the change, I'm going to give you some ways to dismantle our racist society just by changing your mind. Okay. So one, see all the shades of color in people's complexion. And if you're going to describe a person by their skin tone, be more accurate. People are light, fair, tan, dusky, brown, dark brown, peanut butter colored, olive, and more. Seeing only in black and white doesn't show appreciation for all the loves that had to happen to create all that variety. Two, if you're going to describe someone, focus on other features besides your skin. What about someone's eyes or their smile or some feature that is striking like their long legs or spiky hair 
Just talking about it makes me want to lean in and drink in their essence. That's so much more connecting than just talking about skin tone as black or white. Or if I want more distance than that, go with their clothes or their height. Three, if you want to know something about someone, why not ask about their culture rather than their color? If you do this, wait until you're close enough for them to share or else it may seem like you're being really forward. After all, it's a bit like pushing your way into their living room and in, into their family. To four, listen. Don't offer your story of how you did the thing that they're talking about or how you read about it when they're talking about it. Just listen. Keep an open mind. Sit with your impressions. You'll learn more. Five is go beyond race and jobs in conversation. Get personal. At our last quarterly gathering in the private group, a new person asked about what we all do professionally. In the years that I've known some of the people, no one else has ever asked that. I didn't know the answer for most of the people there. I know a lot of people talk about their work, but we never do. We talk about what we love, what we believe, what we're curious about, and things like that. Agree or disagree, it makes for a much more connected and interesting conversation. Six is don't assume. Before you go rescuing someone from their disadvantage, make sure that they are actually has been an injustice and that they want your help. Once a lady apologized to me for the treatment she imagined that I'd had received from society because of the color of my skin. Her intention was to let me know that she was my ally. But what she communicated was that she saw me as a person of color, someone who was disadvantaged, powerless, and who needed rescuing. She communicated that, that I wanted her intervention, and she was the one to do this for me. That's a lot of assumptions. Many people are far more empowered than you might realize and either haven't been marginalized or can take care of themselves when they are. If you look down upon them, you're going to just basically perpetuate racism rather than stop it. The seven, if you're offended, heal. Don't expect the world to stop doing what it's doing to save your feelings, save yourself. Triggers exist to show you where your wounds are. There's no way that anybody can anticipate everyone else's triggers and then avoid them. We're too unique for that. Take responsibility for your own stuff. And if you're hurt, heal. I'm not giving rude people a pass. The golden rule always applies. People are afraid of what they don't know. If we get to know each other, the fear goes away. When we practice healthy boundaries and step into our power, that helps a whole lot too. Kids don't think about race, not the same way we do. They notice skin color, but it's only in the way that they notice the color of the sky. It has no value or judgment to it. It's just different. We can learn a lot from kids. If you have a preoccupation with race, whether that's because you feel like you have a right to wrong or because you have been on the receiving end of a wrong, I'm inviting you to embrace your inner child and let that go. Whether you're engaging in racism or being the victim of racism, you're creating the energy of racism. Either extreme is still racism. The only way to heal it is to step out of the paradigm. Be the whole rainbow, not just one color. Love is a beautiful thing, y'all, and when you give it away, it grows. So I'm sending love to everyone today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to review and subscribe. Race is always a controversial topic, and I'd love to get your take on it, so leave me a comment. Chime in. I'm Laura Giles, and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help the podcast thrive, please share it with others. 
post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Laura Giles, you can follow her on all her socials at Laura Giles 804. See you next time.